0: Hello and welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. I'm your host, Jake Clark, and we have a terrific interview to kick off the show. Here we have an interview with Sophia Pascalides, the star of UBC Theatre's 2019 inaugural production Lion in the Streets. Sophia, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you doing, Jake?
0: Can't complain. It's a good day. The (laughs) sky's chirping. The birds are blue. Actually, it's not doing that anymore because the sun's fallen. It was an overcast day. But a good line. <laughs> now, Lion in the Streets, I, I want to get right to the meat of this, is a, is a really interesting play with a really very kind of dark but very interesting setup. Could you mm-hmm. sort of unpack that from your perspective? Like, what, what should we know going into this?
1: Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that there is a lot of subject matter that it could be triggering to some or some could find disturbing. But, you know, I think it's important for audiences to keep an open mind when they come and watch this show. And just know that there is a beautiful message, and it is a really beautiful play. Judith Thompson is an incredible playwright.
0: And you, what, uh, what character do you play in the, so
1: in the I show? play? So I play Isabel. So she's the ghost mm-hmm. of a nine year old girl who was murdered. And so throughout the play, she witnesses all these characters in their darkest moments. And through that, she seeks to find her killer and get revenge. Revenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a theme of forgiveness versus revenge in the um, for Isabel. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but yeah.
0: And that's kind of interesting because, so you were in Much Ado About Nothing was, as yeah. Hero. Mm-hmm. And Hero also has a bit of a resurrection story. Yeah. <laughs> in that case, I'm imagining a lot more zany. Than than this. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that of the words to to describe this play, uh, Goofy is not one of them.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: (laughs) What's sort of the tone that you're going for? Like, what what informs this performance? Because this is a very sort of unique character you're playing.
1: Yeah. So, it's very... The play is very raw, and it shows a lot of the depths of human emotion and the human condition where, in society, or in these characters who are representative of people, real people in society, put on mask after mask. And in this play, we see these characters completely rip off their masks and show the dark sides of humanity and the human condition. So I would say, yeah, Isabel is is very, you know, raw and truthful, and she's a real person, you know,
0: And would you call it a tragedy here? Because it's hard to... I I have have a hard time putting a bead on exactly what kind of sentiment the play is going for, Mm -hmm. just off the bat, like understanding what I'm kind of going into.
1: I mean, I would say there's... It's not just... A tragedy is a part of it, but it's also a thriller. It's... There isn't really a genre you can use to describe the whole play. It is not a light and happy sort of story, but... It is, in the end, supposed to give the message um, where you should own your life. So Isabel tells the audience in the end that to take back their lives and know that it is your life. Make the most out of it. Don't let anyone take that away from you.
0: And in her case, because she was literally, she did have her life taken away from her by force, Mm -hmm. that's a very, I would say, I was going to say unique perspective, but mm. I mean, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I, I do have to, I do find that interesting how this is set up because from the promo shots of this, there is, uh, we have put this up on our Facebook, but there is, you are in sort of this beige shift surrounded by people in mm. these white, almost what look like uh, hospital garments, mm-hmm. like orderly's garments. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a very impressionistic design. Is that the kind of storytelling that they're aiming for here?
1: The photo shoot, I think, was a little bit different where the reason why everyone in the background of Isabel is all in white is to make Isabel stand out and show that she is alone amongst a society of people where there's, there's people all around her and she just really wants to be loved. So, I mean, that does kind of represent the first half of the play where she doesn't realize she's dead. And so she's amongst all these people, but no one sees her. So that's kind of the vibe we were going for in the photo shoot.
0: A theme of invisibility?
1: Yeah, being invisible.
0: But visibility within that. Can, just a small consideration here, can people see her as a ghost, or is she completely invisible to them throughout the play?
1: She's, she's completely invisible through, the I would say, 90% of the characters, except for her one helper named Susan in the show, who does see her at the beginning and does try to help her. But everyone else does not see Isabel until the very end, where, oh, I don't want to spoil too much about another character. No, no spoilers, certainly.
0: (laughs) That would be that, well, we don't have a comment section, but like, spoiler! Spoiler at the minute tag. Mm hmm. And okay, that's interesting stuff. Now, I, to take a slightly lighter tone route with this, because I've, you, we have uh, when we received your resume, you've done a lot of UBC Theatre. So we've reviewed a few shows you were in. Mm. Much ado about nothing, mm-hmm. uh, the Crucible where you played Tituba. Yes, that's, as I'm, I'm pronouncing it correctly. That was a, you are. A, with a good bit of makeup on. Yeah, <laughs> and there was there was a lot of that in the Crucible. There was a lot of the uh, there was a lot of makeup and hair work oh, there, yeah. which is quite impressive. But one, the one credit that fascinates me is that you played Juliet in Romeo and Juliet.
1: Mm-hmm. In high school. And yeah. Zombies. And Zombies, yes.
0: <laughs> so I, I want to I kind of ask you to unpack that a little bit. And if you were to play Juliet in a straight production of Romeo and Juliet, would that sort of carry over? Would you play it the same way?
1: No, because back in 11th grade when I did Romeo and Juliet and Zombies, um, my drama teacher who directed the play wanted to make it more of a comedy as opposed to a tragedy. Um, So it was the story of Romeo and Juliet, but he added a lot of comedic twists, and there would be zombies and people turning into zombies when they died. So I definitely would would take a very different approach, approaching the character of Juliet, if I were to do it again.
0: How did Mercutio die in that production?
1: Man, it was so long ago that
0: was it zombie related? Is it was it was zombie related. Oh, okay. and then he
1: turned into a zombie. And oh, it was so interesting because the way our drama classroom was set up was there was a window and where you would like see like students walk by outside, but we would do the show at night. So my drama teacher kind of set it up where zombies would be like in the background, outside, kind of like roaming around while we did the play inside, and there'd be times where, um, we would show like murders where zombies would like smack against the wall, and the audience would be like, "Whoa, what?" <laughs> so these were
0: actors who were arrayed as zombies, positioned outside. Uh, the... Positioned
1: outside, yeah.
0: Oh, that's a good as, effect. As like
1: extras, yeah. It was it was pretty cool. <laughs>
0: as an extra, yeah, that, that makes me feel validated.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and you've
0: been working in theater and TV for some time. Were you I have. Were you working in theater, TV, uh, in sorry, in television at that time, or was this sort of before? So.
1: TV, film, and TV was very new for film me. Film and TV, sorry. yeah. I got an agent when I was 16 and started auditioning then. Um, I've done commercial work and I did a independent film based in North Vancouver called No Men Beyond This Point. I just pl- I played a principal role, but it was a non-speaking character. So I would say film and TV is more new for me, and it's a little bit, a little bit intimidating, just coming from a mainly theater background since I was seven years old. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> would you want to perform in theater or more on screen work in the future?
1: I think I, I would like to go more into film and TV in the future after graduation. Just because I feel like, because it's so intimidating and because I want to learn more about it and learn how to execute my performance for the camera Whereas, like, for theater, you're on this stage and you have to tell a story to the guy sitting away at the back, right? Whereas, and if you,
0: if you do that when the camera's there...
1: Yeah, it we, might be a little bit too much. A little over <laughs> the top. Well, that's where you get
0: Al Pacino's best moments. You're
1: right, right. <laughs> it's
0: like, oh, yeah, what? That was just little job. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your dream role to play?
1: Dream role? Wow. You know, I've never thought about the dream role i would love to be in movies more as opposed to television series if i were to go the film and tv route um meryl streep really inspires me and i leonardo dicaprio as well so yeah i wouldn't say i necessarily have a dream role
0: you want to do a remake of the revenant
1: Oh, yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs>
0: Sophia Pascalides as Hugh yeah. Glass. <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd probably watch it. Young I'd,
1: 22-year-old girl <laughs> taking on the role. I mean,
0: well, Leonardo DiCaprio still, in some lights, does look like he's about 20.
1: Like, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. Like,
0: he's like not, not handsome 20, but he still does look, he's got the baby face. He does have the baby face. Yeah. Nice. And with that, um, what sort of roles do you find yourself sort of drawn to or primarily cast in? Do you find yourself... Somewhat typecast, or do you find yourself shifting between characters?
1: Oh, definitely shifting. I mean, I was surprised when I was cast as by last year. I I just remember seeing the cast list and feeling so intimidated by it because I'm like, "What wow, man? Like, how how am I gonna do this?" But like honestly, I surprised myself taking with my performance in that role, and it really goes to show that I can have range, whether I believe it or not, and especially now being cast as Isabel, a 9-year-old girl. Even that was a challenge for me, but just just knowing that with the work that I with the work that I do, I can kind of accomplish whatever role I get cast as so yeah it's been shifting kind of all over the place.
0: And in playing Isabel, I, I, is, is Judith Thompson from Vancouver? Is this play set here?
1: It's set in Toronto.
0: It's set in Toronto. In no, the nineties, so, yeah. So so okay, so I was I was I wasn't close at all. <laughs> but it's a Canadian play, I was it wondering. Is. And it's uh, it's set in this, is it set in the Filipino community because she's specifically set, said to be a nine year old Filipino girl.
1: Mm-hmm. So originally Isabel was written as um, a Portuguese girl, but Judith Thompson wrote in the play that. Isabel can be of any ethnicity as long as she remains other. So Michelle mm. Thorne, our director, decided that it would be nice to make Isabel more close to home for me because I am half Filipino. So um, me and her both made the decision to make Isabel Filipino. Yeah. And with that, I'm also doing a Filipino accent. So I had like an amazing accent coach, Adam Henderson, help me discover this accent that... I've known for so long because I have a Filipino mother and I've been to the Philippines, but I never fully realized that the muscles in my mouth could do something like that. So with that, I've been working really hard on that accent and I think I've got a pretty good grasp of the muscles of a Filipino accent. (laughs) Can you give us
0: a small preview here or are you saving it all for the show?
1: Oh, I'm gonna save it for the show. I gotta warm up into the accent. All right. <laughs> yeah,
0: perfectly reasonable. Yeah, that's that's like that's like me doing a German accent. Yeah. I've done it on the show. It does not go well without preparation. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, as <laughs> ah, the sauerkraut and, this, and okay, okay, it gets really bad because when you do a rant in a German accent, it goes to a really specific place. Right, right, right. So first we It's just Charlie Chaplin from yeah. The Great Dictator. <laughs> it's it's just Charlie Chaplin as as Hinkle. Well, it's yeah. better
1: than I can ever do, so... For the German
0: accent? Yeah. I don't know. Never. The thing about the accents is, you almost certainly know this, half of it is, like, in the in the face and in the, the mannerisms.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. It's the way you move your mouth and the placement of your tongue, your lips, everything. Even with the Barbados accent that I did last year, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think I'd be able to do that, but Adam Henderson, who also coached me last year on the Barbadian accent, um, helped me with the kind of sounds that and the way, like, your lips are placed and the way your tongue is placed and just the muscle memory and just having to do it over and over again so your mouth kind of gets used to it.
0: Sort of the consonants of it, too, because there's a definite rhythm. Yeah. And when you say your family's from the Philippines, are they, like, is it, um, because if the character's Portuguese originally, Mm -hmm. there's a commonality there because the Philippines is a Catholic nation. Mm -hmm. And Portugal is also very Catholic. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these communities, some of the Philippines is, Muslim the south, is Muslim and the north is predominantly Catholic, as I'm given understand. Were you raised in a faith? Does that play play into the? uh, Does that play into the play? Good sentence construction, Jake. Does that play into things at all?
1: Well, so I was. I'm actually Greek Orthodox because my father is from Ah. my father's from Greece. So I'm Uh, half Greek, half Filipino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and my mom is Catholic. So it doesn't really play much into the story of Isabel. I don't think she does believe in heaven and she does want to go to heaven halfway through the show. Um, oh, but it's also interesting because Isabel is almost like a Christ figure in the play where in the end, it's only, you know, the death and resurrection of the innocent and their forgiveness towards their abusers and the non-believers, which allows humanity a second chance at a new life, which, is kind of what the characters um, kind of go through in the show. So Isabelle is kind of the unknowing savior. She doesn't know she is a savior, but in the end, she really is.
0: Has that affected the way you see sort of this redemption, retribution sort of thing? Personally?
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I am assuming we're going to have to watch the show to figure that out, because I'm assuming that ties in with the end.
1: It does. It does. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we can't spoil that here, mm-hmm. or else the our imaginary commenters will get angry. <laughs> okay, that was that was terrific, Sophia. That that sounds fantastic, and we'll definitely have to check out Lion in the Streets, which premieres on the seventeenth.
1: January seventeenth yep. is the opening night.
0: Running yes. through till
1: February second. I knew that. Yeah, and it's at the uh, Teles Studio in the Chan Center for the Performing Arts. I was
0: gonna say February twenty second, but I thought, wait, wait, that can't be a
1: long run. <laughs> that's a,
0: that's that's some very tired actors at the end, <laughs> and just everyone's like, okay. Just 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 one more run, one more run, one more one, one tenth cup of coffee. <laughs> hey, all right, so check that out, UBC Theater, Freddie Wood, Sophia Pascalides.
1: Yep, Teles Studio.
0: <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Telestu- That's right. Yeah, it's a nice space.
1: It is. It's very interesting. Yeah. All
0: right. So yeah, we'll, we'll probably see it I'll probably see you next in in the studio
1: Perfect, thank you.
0: It was lovely to have you.
1: Thank you. It was so nice being here.
0: We're gonna take a short PSA break and when we return we should have a delightful interview actually from our friends over at the Accessibility Collective relating to the Push Festival. You wanna know what that is? So do I. You'll find out in a moment. Just as soon as I figure out how buttons work. And five, four, three, two. what? This computer is an odd thing.
2: It's because of Kim Kardashian's empire, Cheetos, fleece material, and Discorder.
3: It's a local independent music magazine from CITR.
2: Which means that we can print whatever we heck and want.
0: Album and live show reviews, interviews with artists, and sweet illustrations grace our pages.
1: And even you, listener, can contribute. Just visit citr.ca backslash discorder backslash contribute. You can grab it around town or read it at discorder.ca. Forever local and forever free. Strength. Dignity. Respect. Beauty. Self-worth. Safety. Confidence. Confidence choice, hope. Hope. The Beauty Night Society is a registered charity dedicated to helping marginalized women introduce trust, hope, and self-esteem into their lives. This is the first day of Through its life. popular makeover program, the Beauty Night Society has touched the lives of so thousands and reintroduced a healthy touch the to the lives of vulnerable women throughout British
4: Columbia, creating real days, life makeovers.
1: Please visit www.beautynight.org for information on programs and on how to help.
0: Just beauty Nights because, because dignity is beautiful.
2: beautiful. I think I was blind before I met you You know what's better than reading a great magazine? Reading a great magazine that also helps you fight poverty. Megaphone magazine is sold by homeless and low-income vendors on the streets of Vancouver and Victoria. Vendors buy magazines for 75 cents and sell them for $2. It's flexible, low-barrier work for people who may not have access to
1: traditional jobs. Download the Megaphone app to find vendors and buy the magazine even when you don't have change.
0: Hey, what's up? Hello. We're back for just a second. I don't know why I quote a Fetty Wap song, which I'm not entirely sure why I remember. But we have a terrific interview for you, uh, again, from our friends over at the Accessibility Collective. Uh, we're just going to see right into that because we started a little late. So we will do that and then we'll be back with some more fun content for you. Uh, well, here we go.
3: My is Christine Horn. I'm an actor from Ontario, I live in Toronto, mm-hmm. and um, I've been working in, in um, theatre and, and film and TV now for maybe, um, I guess almost 15, 15 years um, mm-hmm. professionally, and uh, that's it, that's about it. I have an almost two-year-old, I have a two-year-old daughter, Okay. and uh, yeah, that's kind of me. <laughs>
2: um, what is the play Prince Hamlet about? Um,
3: it's it's an adaptation of um, Shakespeare's play uh, Hamlet, which is about a um, about a young man whose father has recently died his mother quickly remarries um, Hamlet's uncle her uh, her her husband's uh, brother mm-hmm. and Hamlet goes through a, a process of um uh, grief and loss that he doesn't feel like everybody else is sharing, and it kind of comes to light that the uh, that Hamlet's uncle has in fact murdered the, the king. has murdered Hamlet's father. There's a whole um, kind of revenge mission that that Hamlet that Hamlet goes on, um, and uh, and that's it. I mean, like any. Shakespeare play. The plot is sort of difficult to to sum up, but it deals with a lot a lot about about um, grief and family and um, uh, honor and um, uh, friendship and things like that. And And there's a ghost.
5: (laughs) And what character do you play? I play Hamlet. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. you had a baby just before Prince Hamlet came into play, is that correct?
3: Yes,
5: yes. <laughs> can you go back in time on what you were feeling when you were, you just became a new mom and this new play was coming into, you know, into folks so, Yeah. Um, yeah, can you walk us through that?
3: Yeah, um, I'm very, very lucky because the theater company why not theater um it was very uh very mindful of all the things that i might be going through because they they knew we knew when i was due to have my baby and that we were starting the show seven weeks later and and so they really made the process very possible for me so they asked me what i needed and we had uh, we had a longer rehearsal period because i started working much shorter days and i'm in most of the play. So there's not, there's not a lot they can do without me. So we started with, you know, I, I worked shorter days. I had longer breaks so that I could, uh, pump milk. They let me bring my baby if I needed to. Um, they found a rehearsal space that was very close to my home. Um, so that I wasn't, you know, adding two hours of commuting onto, onto my days. Um, and, uh, they were they were always really communicative uh, with me about anything that I um, anything that I, I needed, um, and my fellow actors were amazing. There was someone who who just at a certain point started bringing me. She just made twice as much lunch, and she brought me food every day because they all knew that when I was going home, I was my plate was very very full. Um, but because I knew that I was doing this project, it was. I was kind of i was prepared for it so it was hard to be away from my baby but i of also course. knew that it was coming and mm-hmm. i you know and then i got to go back after so it's different than you know you're you're home for a year and then suddenly you go back to work full time it was a bit of a a bit of a way in right. um a bit of an easier way i should say um and uh, she was so small at that point, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't really know that I was gone, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like anybody uh. can smuggle her and she, you know what I mean? And so in some ways it was, it's a bit more difficult now, that she, now that she's two. Um, but at the time it was, um, it was the best that that scenario could go because I had a really excellent, um, the theater company was, was so great to me.
2: Right. My mom. Um, <laughs> Uh, had something similar where she was uh-huh. going to school. At yeah, and for her final exam, she made the uh, prof hold my little brother. Yeah, while she wrote her exam. Amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, you do you do what you gotta do. Yep, he didn't know what to do with the baby, but all right. <laughs> how have you balanced between being a parent and having a demanding professional career
3: um it's hard it's a hard it's a hard thing to do um for for me i find that it's hard there's been lots of auditions that i just haven't been able to do because i i just actually don't have the hours to i just can't do the work um so i end up Passing on things, um, and it's hard to have the time to, you know, even being, you know, being rehearsal for a play. It's hard to there's not a lot of time for myself when I go home. So it's hard to do my work and learn my minds and that can be very challenging. I'm very lucky in that my there's, there's my husband is also a self-employed artist. He's a writer, nice. so he's managed to sort of trade off. So you know. If he's busy, I take on more of the, the parenting, and if I'm busy, he takes he takes that on. It's not the same as you know if he had a kind of full time nine to five job and then all the child care is on me, or the other way around. Right. Um. And that would make it really impossible for for me to do anything. So we're able to really trade back and forth, and family is very helpful. Um. And usually the I've I've been um proactive about if I'm starting work on play, I sort of lay out, you know, here's my situation and here's what I might, here's what I might need and and have been lucky to work with, with people and companies who are um, willing to help me out um, right. and be flexible around around certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a challenge for sure. It's a challenge.
5: Yeah. And it seems like you have a really good support around you.
3: I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
5: Um, so, what made you uh, want to do
3: Prince Hamlet? Um, I had worked with the director uh, Ravi Kane. I've worked with him on another show, and, oh, okay. Uh, so, had I knew him and, and I knew his work very well, and I knew what it was like to work with him. And it's a great play. It's sort of the great play. Right. I absolutely wanted to wanted to um, do this play with this with him. Um, and, uh, and they, he was willing to make the timing work with my baby, so it all was kind of perfect.
5: Right, okay. Wow. Wow. Um,
2: besides doing Hamlet, Prince Hamlet, do you have a lot of other things as well? Do you mind telling us what projects you were and are involved in? Well, this I mean, this is
3: it right now for me. It's sort of, it, we do this until March. So this is the this is the thing for me right now.
5: Right, but you in the past you've done other projects as well.
3: Oh, other other jobs. Yeah, there? yeah,
5: yeah. Oh, I see
3: what you mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean I've done I've done other Shakespeare plays. I've done lots of new plays. Um, I've done you know guest spots on lots of TV shows and I've done independent films and right. Um, so I mean recently I was in a. Uh, Shakespeare in the Park in the summer. That was another adaptation of a of a Shakespeare play. It was an adaptation of Julius Caesar. Right. Um, and right. Uh, I did some film, some sort of film stuff in and around that. Um, and uh, I've been doing some assistant directing. Um, yeah, kind of cobbling it all together.
5: Okay. And so thank you so much for telling us that. Um, I think this is the first time the performance Prince Hamlet, is uh, coming to Vancouver. Is that correct?
3: That is correct.
5: Um, what are your thoughts on Push Festival bringing
3: this play in? Uh, I'm I'm so excited uh, yeah. that, that we're coming. Um, so it's, I think that that's that's great. Um, the show is is um, bilingual in English and ASL. Right. And mm. so I think it's great. For um, uh, for the um, when we performed it here a year and a half ago, it was a, it was really great for uh, the deaf community to come to be able to come to um, uh, uh, just come see this play right. that was made for for them. So it's great that we get to tour around and take it to other cities and other um, other communities. Uh, and have more of those deaf and hearing audiences together is um is great to be able to do that in more places and reach more people
5: have you actually been to vancouver i have yes oh okay i thought it might be your first time too that would have been no no <laughs>
2: okay i like vancouver yeah it's <laughs> a fun city
5: <laughs> um uh, well i mean it's, this is the first time the Vancouver's getting it um prince hamlet has been uh, performed in the East Coast, isn't that correct? We've only done it in Toronto. Yeah, in Toronto, yeah.
3: Yeah, so, so we're coming to Banff and Vancouver, and then we go to Toronto again, and, yeah, so, and then we do Ottawa.
5: Yeah, so can yeah. you give us kind uh, um, of okay. a lowdown of what everybody thought when you did this play the first time around? Uh, it, was, um, it was
3: very well received. Um, I think it was uh, an exciting adaptation for, for people to see. We see, you know, there's a Hamlet, the, the Shakespeare play gets produced a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a it was a different take on it and telling the story in a, in a different way. So I think that appealed to people. Yeah. Um, and I think that people uh, for hearing audiences who are unused to seeing uh, signing on stage, yeah. I think that was really kind of eye-opening. And the deaf audiences um, really uh, really responded to, um, uh, seeing a show in ASL. So... It was great. We had, we had a great, we had great feedback.
5: Ah, Awesome. Nice. Um, what, like, playing, what, what was the challenging part of playing the character Hamlet?
3: Um, I mean, we lost some stuff. It's a big, it's a very really big... It's huge. I mean, I don't t- honestly know how to, how to answer that question. That's okay. Um, there's lo- there's loads loads of things that are that right. are challenging about it for me personally. I had to learn a bunch of ASL, so that was a, a sort of on a more even just technical level. That was a hard a hard thing for me. Yeah. To have to be able to do the do the part and also learn another. Lang- mm-hmm. another language, other right? languages
5: yeah. at the same time yeah yeah okay and well for our listeners why should they check out the performance the Prince Hamlet Uh
3: well I think it's a great show I yeah. think it's a really great show and I think that it's really rare to see deaf and hearing uh, actors on stage together mm-hmm. and that this is an opportunity to to see that, and I think it can change a lot of minds about how, um, how those two communities and cultures can, can work together in a really intersectional uh, way. Um, so I think that it can speak to what we can do with theater and art, but also how we can um, exist in, in society <laughs> together and, yeah. and those different cultures. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Coexisting. Mm -hmm.
5: Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much. Yeah. No problem. Bye. Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye.
0: And we're back, but not for long. Stay tuned for another uh, couple PSAs from our friends at the Vancouver Tenants Union and, of course, UBC Theatre. And we'll be back uh, to give a quick shout out to uh, Langley Players Drama Club's production of Half Life and the film Roma, which is, as of right now, I believe, still playing at Van City. Uh, back in a flash.
1: Problem? Mass evictions. Master and evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. I take my life. I want you all to take your life. I want you all to have your life. UBC Theatre and Film presents Lion in the Streets, directed by MFA candidate Michelle Thorne, telling the story of Isabel, the ghost of a murdered nine-year-old Filipina. Returning to the neighborhood 17 years after her death, young Isabel drops into the lives of her neighbors and reveals the hauntingly raw underbelly of human nature. Ultimately hopeful, Judith Thompson's seminal play, Lion in the Streets, devours with devastating beauty. Running January 17 to February 2nd at the TELUS Studio Theater in the Chan Center for the Performing Arts. Student tickets only $11.50 at theaterfilm.ubc.ca. What I think?
0: There. Yeah, that's a pretty. Eric, we were just chatting in the interim about. Roma, hold on, is the right microphone on? I think we have, per- we, the two of us specifically have learned to be attentive towards that. Okay, now we're good. Yep. Yeah, because <laughs> the first time I was on the show,
4: well, no, someone forgot to turn on my mic. So if you guys go back to so the first show I was ever in, I think a year yeah. ago in September or something like that, um, you'll notice that I sound like this like the entire time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You will also notice I do a John Lee Hooker impression for several minutes. Uh, we have fun, don't we? Uh, speaking of fun, if you're in Langley, those two things don't really go together. Uh, but if you are, uh, you, please do check out uh, Half-Life, which is the work of the Langley Players Drama Club. This is a long-running club. It's been going since 1969. Uh, is there a song for 1969? No, that's 1980. 1985. I was, I was I just had a bowling for soup flashback. I don't know why that was 1985, um, but it is uh, that also opens on January 17th. Don't let that conflict with UBC theater. But you know, uh, if you're if you're in the if you're in the area and runs until February 16th at the Langley Playhouse, which is uh, uh, 400, 407 Brookswood, I believe. Yeah, uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, the show is by John Mighton, and it is described as a timely and relevant play, not without humor, but that is also a moving meditation on identity, identity, aging, and the nature of memory. Uh, and it deals with a cast who's in an extended care facility and their children who must come to terms with their own role in their parents' lives. And that's, uh, I mean, that's an interesting topic. It's a valid topic, especially because I think we're living at a point where we're going to see a, a large surge of retirement. In the next few years, demographically, because the largest generation in the world is going to start retiring,
4: and the largest generation is
0: the baby boomers. Okay, yeah, no, they really are. Like, it's going to be—I don't know what the labor climate's going to look like for for us, you know, coming in, but we're going to be, I think, in a better situation than Gen X was, because Gen X was told like to, that you would, you know, get a job in five years, and they've been in the same weight place for twenty. And they've been like, eh, really? Because no, no no, areas are freed up. Like, it's sort of like – because nobody retires. The turnover is lower. And I think that eventually, though, that that something's got to give. Like, something's got to follow through. I don't know. It's an interesting demographic consideration. I
4: think we're just not necessarily more prepared. And it's weird me saying this because I'm not even a millennial, but I'm also not uh, – uh what's the new generation name generation Z. yeah like i'm neither of those because i'm that weird in between yeah same here the generation so yeah i'm 98 so it's like usually that people cap it at 96 and then Mm. they start gen z at like 2000 2000. and i'm like cool (laughs) i'm in the in between and especially growing up in brazil where i still got the technology from the 90s because we only got technology like the same technology that was present here very commonly, like, five years, ten years later after it was launched here and became popular here, which was really interesting. So, like, my entire childhood, I grew up with um, tape recorders and all that stuff that, like, my little sister, who's nine now, has no idea what
0: those things are. Now, that's interesting because my distinguishing point between uh, Generation Z and Millennials is Millennials will remember VCR and Generation Z oh, yeah. will remember DVD.
4: No, I, I grew up with VCR. Yes, same, yeah. same here. Like I, was,
0: I remember, because the last film released on VCR, I know this for a fact, is A History of Violence. David know. Cronenberg movie. It's actually really good. Figo I was Morton's
4: too movie. young to know
0: that. Yeah, I, I would hope so. I <laughs> hope you did not see this movie as a child, because there are some legitimately disturb It is the, probably the least disturbing Cronenberg movie, uh, which is kind of like saying The Tallest Dwarf, but that's a good one. I should re-watch that. Viggo Mortensen's done some great stuff. Yeah, I, I remember like the
4: transitioning book. happening when I was like around ish more or less. But that's like my most of my childhood was already gone by then, and I grew up,
0: you know. Yeah, like for for me, I remember like the combined DVD VCR things, like oh same, yeah, 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 to sort of help to smooth it over. I think DVDs are also a lot easier to carry around, it so is. they helped a <laughs> lot. And they helped piracy a lot because once things went digital. Like you can tape a TV show, but you can put a whole series on DVD. True. Well, part of a whole series on DVD. I, I remember renting them. <laughs> you you got, rented? Yeah, yeah. Video <laughs> rental. It's amazing that that is quaint at this point yeah that's an illustration of moore's law in i loved
4: going to to video rants and places especially because like i was li- not super little but i was like pretty young and you see like those reserved areas and i was always curious to like what the hell is behind that curtain oh. you know like <laughs> i never went in there because i was like okay 18 plus can't go in there but i was always curious now i know and i know it's not that interesting but like <laughs> yeah as a child you're like what's behind
0: that door See the thing is, I'm. Well, I wonder a lot. Of, are there? There still are video rental places, right? No. No. There's. There's none left. Are they all gone? I think so. I know Blockbuster collapsed, but like,
1: yeah, I don't oh, know man, any places.
0: I, I, I remember that. Man. I mean, Netflix is taking over. So. Yeah, that's true. I mean, TV was already doing a number on it.
4: And talking about Netflix. Talking about Netflix. That was a great transition that guys. <laughs> one
0: So you saw Roma, which is kind of the film of the year yeah. for for last year as well as probably the film of the year for this year because of when Well,
4: it technically it's the, like it was launched right at the end of last year, but I think okay. it's only going to go to awards and everything else like this year.
0: It was a December movie last year. Yeah. It okay, was like yeah, so right happen. at the end of December.
4: Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, Roma. It is – I you. I watched the entire movie, and I was very confused why the title was Roma, and I had to Google it afterwards. But it's because there's a neighborhood in, I believe, Mexico City that is named Roma. So the movie centers around that neighborhood, and that's why it's named Roma.
0: Because I was asking about this in the interim. Yeah. I thought, are there gypsies in the movie?
4: <laughs> no. <laughs> so the movie revolves around Cleo, who is a – maid slash nanny. She works at this middle higher class family's house. They have four kids, and um, it's she lives basically lives in the house as well. Like, there's uh, she's a sleep in maid. I guess that's what you call it in a uh, live in yeah a live in maid. I'm not really sure with the terms in English, just because it feels very strange. The entire movie's in Spanish as well. Um, she completely shot in black and white. Um, incredible little amount of dialogue but absolutely stunning visuals um, and so many long shots I was very very impressed with the amount of long shots and pans and um, even tilts just because um, with a movie it's a really long movie and with a movie that long to make that number of long shots that don't feel like long shots is just really impressive
0: um alfonso Cuarón's good at those
4: yeah and it is also very interesting how in those long shots he also do does medium close-ups and um wide angles not wide angles sorry um my, my film techn-
0: terminology right now is like failing me because i just but he's doing some like, impressive <laughs> stuff with it like i remember from children of men like there's that long shot. Okay, this is a small spoiler for Children of Men, but it happens like 15 minutes in, so I'm going to count it. you seen Children of Men? No, I haven't. Great documentary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> laughter concealing real pain. Uh, Children of Men, so there's, I won't give too much away here, but there's this tracking shot that goes, it's all in one take, and it goes from general lightheartedness to sudden and to sudden violence, like at incredible, You you legitimately don't see it coming. And it's, it's all in one take. The camera's moving around. You get Clive Owen, like, steering the ca- – I just I lash my head around there. That's why the audio changed. And then just it, – it's it, – you legitimately don't see it coming.
4: Yeah, and, and the thing is that he does, in Roma specifically, I don't know about his other movies because I've never seen them, is that there is really, really deep fields, like depth of field, as in, like, what you're looking at. And there's just like a constant distraction where like, there's a background that's very active. And then there's a foreground that's not as active or like the opposite. And you sometimes in the movie, if you don't know what you want to look at and it's, it's very unsettling at points, but it works very well. So basically it's a, uh, let's go back to what's about, <laughs> uh, it's about Cleo, um, But honestly, in my opinion, I don't think it's necessarily just about her. Um, It's about her relationship with the family and it's about her own, her struggles. But it also, um, it also shows a reality that I've, I don't see often. And I was reading some interviews and I was reading some, critiques of the movie and most of them are like this movie is amazing and blah 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 and this one specific critique by i forgot his name he were he's a writer for the new york times and he is a old white man which really frustrated me because he started saying like and it's a valid point uh he does have a valid point but i think he lost the point of the movie with that critique that um Mm. that Um, the director muted like really like took out the voice of Cleo because she is a very passive character she doesn't talk a lot throughout the movie but I don't think that diminishes her I think with that critique like it shows a lack of understanding of the culture I was very touched by this movie because Cleo um, has a beautiful relationship with these children she raises them like she they are her own and um, she has a story that is parallel to the to the woman of the house story I don't want to give out too many spoilers because this is a movie that's really worth watching um so and she is part of that family and they love her and she loves them back and yes they're it's a complica- it's complicated to discuss this here or in Canada or in the US or any place outside Latin America and even inside Latin America because it is a complicated relationship. How do you have someone that is working for you become part of a family, become part of the family? And I know it's difficult, but I think that the critique that it didn't fully scope out, didn't fully create the character of Cleo is very misguided because that is not the story that is being portrayed the story that it, the focus of the story is Cleo's relationship to the family is the family's relationship to Cleo and not Cleo as a you know like the other aspects of her life necessarily It's how how the other aspects of her life also influence her 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 perspective in the home and how she acts in the home
0: now, that's interesting to think about for me just in terms of Alfonso Cuarón's it's probably best known movie I mean apart from Children of Men but I think the movie that people will associate with Alfonso Cuaron is y Tu Mama Tambien you heard of that one
4: yeah I heard of that one I haven't watched it though
0: so y Tu Mama Tambien this is uh it's a movie. It's, it's, it's a weird movie to unpack, but basically it concerns a friendship between, I had to pull it up because I actually forgot the characters' names, um, because I, I haven't seen this movie in a while and I get hit in the head a lot, uh, between Tinoque, that's Diego Luna, who comes from this upper, very posh uh, family, his father's a politician, and Julio, who's Gail Garcia Bernal, uh, who's uh, middle class, like lower middle class uh, family, and it's their their friendship really plays along this divide and that eventually there's a, there are some schisms, let's say. And throughout mamá Tambien, there is a narrator who I believe is Alfonso Cuaron himself uh, who talks about bits of context that are not meaningful to the plot but are weird little details. Like they pass a construction site and he goes in his voice, one of the workers at this construction site arrived late one day and in running was hit by a car. He died five days later. Something like that. I don't think that's exactly it, but it's like things like, oh, wouldn't have thought about that. And one thing that happens, so they're driving, it's a road movie, and uh, the two of them, and well, so so Maribel Verdu is also in this, and they're they're driving with Maribel Verdu to go to this beach they kind of made up. It's, like, watch the movie. It's good. Uh, But they are driving through rural Mexico, and... They in doing so, Tinoch, who's the again the, the the posh one, he looks outside and he sees this village. And the narrator who again I'm paraphrasing here, he goes, This was the village where Tinoch's nanny uh, grew up. And it says it essentially, I don't believe he says it outright, but it implies that she was the one who really raised him, because he looks and there's this genuine moment of it's good really good acting on Diego Luna's part. But there's this moment of legitimate conflict because he does want to say something, he does want to go, but he ultimately suppresses it because a lot of it is about the handling of emotion and about emotional maturity, which neither of the guys in this and that movie embody in really any respect. But it, it it that is interesting to think of in the light of Roma because I do sincerely think that, one, Alfonso Cuarón is a guy who thinks a lot about socio-political context. And the thing is... But uh,
4: he actually dedicated this movie to Luda, I believe is her name, which is the woman that is the figure of Klaus based on. And the thing is, what I believe is that this entire movie is shot in the perspective of the children, but without actually being shot in the perspective of the children. Because I felt like that was my story, too. I was raised similarly to that. I had, um, she was not a live-in maid at all. But we, especially because I'm the older sister. When my sister came home, um, I did not talk to my mother for months. Because I was very jealous of the little baby in the house. And so I turned to uh, Jo um, for everything. And to this day, like, I call her once a week. She is... Uh, another mo- motherly figure in my life and I l- love her like she is part of my family and she is treated like family like at every point point. Um, and it was just really really close to home especially because Cleo doesn't have any children um, because she raises those children at home although she is a very young woman so things happen regarding children um, in the movie just a heads up um and i don't know it's it it was a i was crying a lot with this movie it's it's a very hard movie to watch but it only becomes hard and it becomes very difficult to watch all of a sudden like it's fine like you're not really sure what the story is about and then all of a sudden it kind of just clicks together and once everything clicks together it just kind of falls on you and there's just this realization moment it's like, something is not right here. Not necessarily about the family or anything, but it's like, there's just stuff that happens and I don't want to spoil it because if I spoil it, that was, like, the thing that got me so hard. <laughs> and I'm like, I want you guys to watch it and
0: cry too, but... <laughs> it sounds like it's a very rich film.
4: Yes. And the thing is, it's all in black and white and you think that that would take away from it somehow. But I don't understand the choice necessarily um but it was an interesting choice and the thing is the entire movie is also set um in 1970 and 1971 and so the director incorporates um actual historical moments including a massacre which triggers moments in the story and like the the narrative the film narrative
0: I was going to say, I imagine probably a rough decade for Mexico, but I don't know if there's been a good decade for Mexico.
4: (laughs) I I don't know either. Well, I mean, before colonizers, for sure.
0: Well, I mean, still you got the Aztecs. I mean, they did get to the heart of the problem, but I mean, meet the new boss, still as decapitate as the old boss. (laughs) Actually worse, because the new box is smallpox, but yeah, well, that got dark really quick. And does the film go there, or is it just in the background?
4: It goes there a little bit, but it doesn't go fully in there. Like I only knew these were historical happenings after I looked more into the movie. Like I actually, like went out of my way to get more background information about the movie because the it's important in the narrative because it triggers something, and I don't want to let that go. Like don't want to say what it triggers, but it triggers something really important.
0: All right. So <laughs> the takeaway from this is go see Roma at fan city or or watch it on netflix, netflix. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah you can also watch it on netflix which is you'll probably see it at the academy awards i imagine
4: yeah it has won which multiple awards already and it's in being movie right now yeah and it's being nominated for also another number of awards so it's definitely going to be something that's going to be talked about a lot um i will not watch it again anytime soon i my heart cannot take it
0: <laughs> it's, it's a lot that's a pretty robust endorsement, though, for a drama film.
4: Yeah, uh, and but the thing is, not the, I. I repeat, I repeated the thing is like a few times today, and I want to like stop doing that. But it is a very personal film, and I don't think I don't think um, the director is trying to conceal that it's very personal. And I think it anyone that anyone that is like most Latin American people will somehow relate to this movie not necessarily to Cleo like I did not relate to Cleo I related to the children um but will relate to the movie somehow but it's very personal like (laughs) and that's the thing where I have like uh the critique I was talking about before like this guy that wrote this critique does not have a full understanding of this culture and although he does have a valid point there is something off that he's just not being able to grasp because he will never understand it. If you're not raised that way, there are certain things
0: that you just cannot understand. You think it's a cultural thing or a class thing?
4: I think it's a cultural thing, um, but also I think a little bit of blo- both. Um, because, Especially because like different cultures have different types of classes and True. it works differently. And the relationship especially because, like, the relationship in the U.S. and Canada between mates and work and, like, employers hmm. is always portrayed as very um, almost unset- as very unsettling for me because they are as if they're nothing most of the time or at least they're portrayed, portrayed that way. Again, I was not raised in those conditions, so I don't know what the reality is. Um, but they're always portrayed as, like, oh she can't properly speak english she's legal she's not like uh she doesn't deserve all these rights whereas in not in america it's a little bit different
0: i think that uh, that is something that would be very strongly attributable to certain parts of the u.s yeah that, that that's that's that seems like more of a border state thing but you know it it could be it's nevertheless it seems like an excellent snapshot and i certainly haven't heard anything bad about it I'll have to check it out you know although although uh if your heart can't handle it I highly suspect mine'll be pretty, <laughs> I mean, personal or not you know uh, some some drama films they really get on you they really stick with you yeah. All right. So <laughs> on that cheerful note, well, it's, it's actually, it's
4: actually, this was the second show of the semester yeah, it's a the second, year.
0: Yeah, it's the second show of the year. Second show of 2019. And so far, we have only had 50 fatalities, none of which were guests. <laughs> Yay. No, that was that, that's from British Empire, I think. British Empire. Yeah. All right. So uh, I don't believe we have a program on after us, but that uh, we might have. It might be pre-recorded. There's nobody hanging around outside, so uh, yeah, I, I do like having the medicine show on after us. It's nice to see him set up. <laughs> but uh, we'll be back here next week, same time, same station, live at 5 Pacific. Uh, I'm Jake Clark. I'm Lua. And see you next time. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm hunting, I'm hunting You think you're intimidating? Oh Yeah, I'm soft but I mean though Move back so I'll never get too close Yeah, I'm soft but I mean though I'm soft but I mean though Stay broad with my team though Yeah my natives and my niggas and my gringos I I'm no. soft, but i mean though. I'm coming and brooding, I'm bringing the truth. Anyone giving truth is a gun. We banging these boots and we be so up to, so it's wrecking the mic that we on. you gangin' in the news, you'll be seeing it soon. If I give you my time, it's an, it's an honor. honor.
0: Can't be a group like Madonna. Yeah. Be a poster for warning. Now stand back, here's a cutter. Every group gang cracks slap like